Spring football is finally here. We get our first chance to get our eyes on the 2023 football season. The top five storylines entering spring football. We're going to discuss that and a whole lot more here on a Monday. Locked on Vols. You are Locked on Vols, your daily podcast on the Tennessee Volunteers. Part of the Locked on Podcast Network, your team every day. What is up, everybody? Welcome into it. This is Locked on Vols, and I'm your host, Eric Kane. So glad that you guys elected to hang out with me here today, here on this Monday. It's been a really exciting weekend. Of course, Tennessee basketball is on to the Sweet 16, and uh, man, uh, what a good game over Duke on Saturday, right? And if you want uh, my immediate reaction and a whole lot of basketball talk, I did a lot. I didn't do a live show, but I did record a show uh, after that round of 32 game over the weekend against Duke, so... Uh, that is in the feed. Go back and check it out. I also joined a um, a clipping station. I had like a little 10-minute interview. That's on the feed as well. So uh, plenty of basketball talk regarding Tennessee's uh, NCAA tournament opening weekend. That is all on the uh, feed and on the YouTube feed as well. So make that your, uh, your listen here this morning after Locked on Vols. And we're going to catch up with Ron Slay coming up later in the show. He joined our Rocky Top Rewind Sunday night over at VolQuest.com and going to play part of that interview on what he thinks about Tennessee uh, in the Sweet 16, so we'll talk plenty of hoops as well, but going to talk some Tennessee football here, spring football, it's what drives the ship, it's what all you guys want to know about, of course, and it all begins today, uh, it's practice number one of 15 is going to begin this morning, we'll be on the practice field a couple of different times uh, throughout uh, throughout this week, and, and of course that's leading up to the, uh, the orange and white game later on in April. There's a pro day. It always kind of takes place, kind of overlaps with spring practice where, you know, Tennessee's draft hopefuls that'll take place uh, on campus on March the 30th as well. So a lot of exciting times uh, with the pigskin coming up here over the next couple of weeks. And I want to discuss some of the top five storylines for Tennessee football in spring practice. Twitter Tuesday, mailbag edition of the show is coming up tomorrow at underscore Kaner at Locked on Vols. Go ahead and get in your questions for Twitter Tuesday, that mailbag show at underscore Kaner and at Locked on Vols. All right, so top five storylines for Tennessee entering spring practice. We've gone through position previews. We're going to do the kicking game in segment number two. Um, but, you know, we've talked a little bit about some of this, but I'm going to, going, to, going to kind of put it in order, you know, five all the way down to one on what my top five storylines are for Tennessee football spring practice. This is what I'm going to be looking out for in spring practice. And a lot of these maybe you're looking out for as well. Maybe you're going to be looking out for who's going to be in the secondary, some of these newcomers and stuff like that. So I'm going to give you my list here. At number five is going to be backup center. This is a very, very uh, small point on the list of priorities. However, I think it's I think it's important, right, because of that safety net of being Jerome Carvin each of the past two seasons if Cooper Mace had to go down with injury or if he popped his helmet off or whatever the case may be. And all you had to do was slide Jerome Carvin over there, but that proved that Tennessee did not have any depth at center that they felt good about to come in and play fresh. You have Parker Ball, who can snap the football. Ollie Lane can snap the football a little bit. Javante Spragans can maybe snap the football, but of course he's the guard on the other side. Um, you've got uh, some sophomores in uh, Addison Nichols that they tried out at center a little bit, maybe Masai Reddick. Um, you know, that's a big question mark for this spring because Cooper Mays is going to be his last year most likely, and so... You know, what, what's who's going to snap the football after Cooper Mays leaves? Or what if Cooper Mays goes down and Jerome Carvin's not here? So it's a big question for me. And, you know, the center is very important because you call out the counting starts at the center. 
So if you're calling out and you're 90-man protection or whatever, the center starts counting one, I got the shade, I got the zero back or whatever, and then the guard can say, okay, I got this one technique, that's two, I got a three technique, that's three, I got a four-eye, that's four. You know, you count so on and so forth down the line of scrimmage. But it all starts with the center. And you want to be, you want to have someone that's smart, someone who's athletic, and someone who can be kind of in sync and leading that huddle with your quarterback. So that's really important to me, the backup center. Uh, number four, what about these sophomores? Big spring coming up for these sophomores that signed for the class of 2022, but maybe didn't see a whole lot of playing time, or maybe saw a little bit of playing time, but maybe you want to see their roles increase. Uh, some guys who maybe redshirted or didn't see any playing time, where are they in the pecking order after this first uh, after this you know, spring practice is over? Could they maybe enter the, the transfer portal in that second window? Um, big time spring for some sophomores coming up immediately. I think of James Pierce, who's had a really good winter workout session. Joshua Josephs was the first one to kind of hit the field in front of him. And he did a nice job as a true freshman. James Pierce has got more raw, raw athletic ability than Josephs, in my opinion, not that Josephs is bad, but man, I think there's a lot of untapped potential there for James Pierce, big spring coming up for James Pierce. What about those backup offensive linemen that I mentioned? Addison Nichols, where's your physicality level at? Messiah Reddick, what's your body looking like? Brian Grant, what's your body looking like as you come to Tennessee? Messiah Reddick trying to tone his body down. Brian Grant uh, trying to put on some weight to play play offensive tackle. What about Mo Clipper, guy that we've never really heard of, right? Big spring coming up for those backup offensive linemen, those sophomores, rising sophomores, because kind of where are you in the pecking order, really? I mean, does Tennessee need to go hit the transfer portal again after this offseason, or can you step up and be ready to go? And then some receivers. How about Caleb Webb, Chaz Nimrod? Big time spring for those guys. Tennessee, again, has attacked the transfer portal, try to go and find some receiver help. Dante Thornton, of course. Last season, it was Brew McCoy. The season before that, it was Javante Payton. Can Caleb Webb and Chaz Nimrod step up? Caleb Webb was you know, kind of overshadowed, didn't see much, uh, much of anything last year. Neither did Chaz Nimrod, but Chaz Nimrod had an injury that kind of hindered his development early on as a freshman. So big spring for some of those sophomores. That's my storyline number four. Storyline number three, we talked about on Friday's show, or maybe it was Thursday's show, the secondary. Guys, uh, we need we need some answers in that secondary. Are we going to find those answers over 15 spring practices? Probably not. But can we have a better idea entering the fall camp slate on who's going to be where, who you feel good about, all that type of stuff. Can Tennessee get more athletic in the back end, especially at the safety position? Can you find some consistency at cornerback entering fall camp? A lot of returners, okay? What about guys like Kamal Haddon? Have you found consistency? Can you channel your inner emotion and play football instead of talk so much? What about the health of Warren Burrell, Christian Charles? Where's Christian Charles going to be? Where's Danico Slaughter going to be? What about the newcomer Gabe Judy Lolly? What about these freshmen, Jordan Matthews, Ricky Gibson? What about guys like Deshaun Rucker who seem to just kind of be left out? And Brandon Turnage, can you stay healthy? I mean, there's, you know, Wesley Walker, where are you? There's so many names back there that are coming back. What is that pecking order? Who is where? And can you find some guys to rely on? The secondary is something I'm looking at big time this spring. That's my third storyline. Number two storyline and number one, you, all, you always think about the newcomers, right? Number two, about those freshmen. We got to see some freshmen and pads and everything for some bowl practices, and that was nice, but it was scout team and everything. These freshmen have not taken a true rep yet. They will take a true rep, and many more, in spring practice. Joe Milton's going to be the quarterback in 2023. I understand Joey Halsley said it's going to be quarterback competition, but you know it's going to be Joe Milton. But what does Nico Imaliaba look like? 
five-star number one player in the country, according to On3. What does he look like taking true team reps in pads? What's his body looking like right now? A couple months into a, a college strength and conditioning program. All eyes going to be on Nico for sure later on today when we're out there on campus for practice and, of course, in the days that ensue. What about wide receiver Nathan Laycock? What about uh, defenders and Caleb Herring and linebackers and um, Arian Carter and Jeremiah T. Lander, Jalen Smith? What about those Jordan Matthews and Ricky Gibson in the secondary? A lot of people want to know about these true freshmen as well, so that's my number two storyline. And then the transfers. Only reason the transfers are ahead of the of the uh, freshmen in terms of newcomers and while they're my top storyline is because they are battle-tested. They have been in a collegiate strength and conditioning program. They know what it takes. Now, they need to adapt. They need to come in, and they need to you know, get in the swing of things for Tennessee football, of course, and that's no easy feat. Look at Gerald Mincy. It took him pretty much all last year to kind of get used to things at left tackle. That's why he split that with J.J. Crawford. That's another storyline, you know, the tackle situation. But kind of on that, John Campbell, how long does it take you to get – infused in this offense and are you going to be a starter at one of the tackle spots I think you'll be a starter at right tackle that's just kind of my hunch right now what about Dante Thornton he's really impressed coming over in in, in um, you know winter workouts and everything how mobile will he be I think he's dealt with a little bit of a ham hamstring injury potentially how much work is he going to get in uh, but guys like that you know um you got a uh, Charles Campbell kicker from Indiana there's going to be a kicking competition as well I want to see these newcomers Keenan Peely Omar Norman Lott McKylan Castles that tied in the newcomers transfers my number one storyline here for Tennessee as we enter spring practice so uh in reverse order number five my storylines entering spring practice day number one practice coming up later this morning here on a Monday who's the backup center number four the sophomores the rising sophomores big spring for them number three the secondary who is where and what's that order number two the freshmen and true reps what do you look like in number one the transfers, what do you look like in the Tennessee offense and defense, and how quickly can you help? It's spring practice number one starting this morning over on campus. Hey, when we come back, we got loads to get into. We're going to talk about that kicking situation, the kicking game, that position preview. That is coming up next as we uh, enter spring practice right here on Locked on Vols. But hey, the Built Bar Madness bracket is here. We know you have your favorite bar puff, and now's the time to make it count. Go to BuiltBarchMadness.com to vote for your favorites. You know I'll be voting for the Cookies and Cream Bar, and if you want the Vols to win, then you're going to be voting for that bar as well. Support your team. Support your bar or your puff. And when you vote for your favorite bar or puff, you're going to be entered in a drawing where 50 lucky Locked On listeners will get a free box of Built. Not only that, but one Locked On fan will win a 12-month subscription to Built that have Built's best bars or puffs delivered monthly straight to your door. You got to try Built. Built is the best protein bar ever. 17 grams of protein, only 130 calories, but 100% real chocolate. 100% covered in real chocolate. Run to BuiltMarchMadness.com right now to vote for your favorite bar or puff and pick up a box while you're there. You can vote every day in March, so hop in and support your pick. That is BuiltMarchMadness.com. What is up, everybody? Welcome into it. Segment number two of a Monday show. This is Locked on Vols, and I'm your host, Eric Kane. Don't forget, Twitter Tuesday. And that is coming up tomorrow, mailbag edition of the show. Any questions, any comments, Tennessee football, baseball, recruiting, basketball, Sweet 16, all that and more, uh, get them in there at underscore Kaner and at Locked on Vols. We'll, have, we'll play part of the conversation uh, from the Rocky Top uh, Rewind at walkwest.com from last night with Ron Slay. That's coming up in segment number 
uh, three here of the show. And of course, any more hoops talk. I had uh, plenty of hoops coverage over the weekend. That is in the that is in the uh, Locked On Vols YouTube feeds. Um, it's in the audio feeds, wherever you want to get it. I did a, a show after Tennessee beat Duke. And I did a couple of clipping stations, a couple of different interviews. So all that and more that is coming up or that is on the feed right now. But uh, exciting time. Tennessee football spring practice starting. Tennessee basketball going to the Big Apple. And uh, really, really looking forward to that for this first Sweet 16 appearance since the 2018-19 season. So uh, looking forward to that. Hey, before we talk some more hoops in segment number three, let's kind of round out our spring position previews for Tennessee football. And uh, we're going to look at the kicking game. Um, you know, short and sweet. There's not a whole lot to get into here, but it is a third of a game and it's very important. So uh, we're going to do our due diligence. You're saying goodbye to your starting kicker and your punter. Chase McGrath was really, really solid uh, for Tennessee over the past two years. McGrath's 136 made PATs in two years on Rocky Top. That was pretty phenomenal. He also went 28 of 36. Um, in terms of field goal in 2022, he was 16 to 20, which was really solid. He, he was a solid kicker for Tennessee. And so you know, you're going to have to replace that production. Did he have the longest leg, the biggest leg? No, he did not. But he was really consistent 43 yards in. And he showed, you know, like like at Pittsburgh, he made, I think, a 51 yard. So he could make the long ones, but he was really consistent coming in. And Maxon Brooks has punted here for five years. And I felt like he was a lot better earlier in his career. But nonetheless, a guy that's been there, done that, handled the kickoff duties. Um, a senior leader here on this football team. Tennessee's going to have to replace that. So who are they going to replace those two guys with? Well, uh, Tennessee did bring in from the transfer portal from Indiana, Charles Campbell. He is a volunteer state native. He's got a lively leg. He's made 39 of 51 field goals um, in four years at Indiana. He's made at least one 50-yard field goal each of the past three seasons. So he's got a little bit of a leg on him. Um, he will come in and he will compete with JT Carver, who is, a, again, another volunteer state native. And he's a th he's a, now a third-year player here in the system. Um, Campbell's got the experience, so no pun intended. I think he'll have the leg up in this competition. But nonetheless, it will be a competition. And that's kind of what the kicking position looks like. What about punter? Well, you have Ross Jackson coming over, and he is going to pick up – Jackson Ross, excuse me. He's going to pick up exactly where – uh, Paxson Brooks left off and probably probably more he can absolutely boom it um he's a phenomenal leg he's a former professional um rugby player in Australia he's an Australian native and he was kind of getting adapted to everything he was on campus he was on the team last year kind of learning and, and watching and kind of picking up some things from Paxson Brooks but I think he's going to be phenomenal for Tennessee I think Tennessee honestly in terms of flipping field position and stuff I think Tennessee is going to have an advantage with Jackson Ross punting uh for Tennessee in 2023 so that's kind of where we look at right now in terms of the kicker and the punter entering spring but obviously a big spring practice for those guys um jackson ross the punter jt carver a uh, kicker in contention charles campbell the transfer from indiana kicker in contention for that starting job colby morgan is also another guy that has punting experience for tennessee from Onata, from onada high school josh turbyville is also on the roster I believe he came from knoxville catholic um he's a kicker you have Matthew Solansky, who's returning a redshirt senior as your long snapper. He's been the he's been the snapper for Tennessee since the 2020 season. Done a really really nice job from Marstown West High School here in East Tennessee. So he'll come back, and that's a good thing. And then when you look at the returners, big time question marks in terms of who's going to do what. But what we do know is Steve Williams is going to be uh, your punt returner again. I thought he provided a big time spark for Tennessee uh, coming in returning some kicks at uh, returning some punts and kicks at LSU and um, had a really really good showing um can he 
you know, just because you can return punts doesn't always mean you can return kicks. It's all, it's, it's two different things. You know, for the longest time, Bayless Jones was a punt returner and he was not necessarily, or excuse me, he was a kick returner. He was not necessarily a punt returner, but his senior year, his fifth year senior, or his, actually that was a six year year, sixth year in college, second year at Tennessee, he learned how to return punts and he was good at it. He was really, really good at it. And it helped him to be a third round draft pick for Tennessee going to the Chicago Bears. And so he's doing a thing in the NFL now. But you do have Dean Williams coming back who solidified himself as a nice punt returner. And I think that he should be that kick returner as well. But you also have some fast guys, you know, Squirrel Wide, who's going to be in the starting rotation at wide receiver. Um, you have Dylan Sampson, who will be, you know, getting some snaps in the backfield at running back. Of course, you have Jalen Wright, who will be getting some snaps in the backfield at running back as well. You have some fast guys on this football team and some other defensive backs who, you know, may play a role in terms of doing the kick returning. Uh, duties. You know, Jimmy Holiday was another guy that returned kicks for Tennessee last year, but they really didn't allow him to do an awful lot, to be completely honest with you. And so um, I'll be I'll be intrigued to see the kickoff return guys who practice there. And we won't know this answer until 2023, like the actual season, but how much will they allow these guys to actually go out there and return some kicks? Um, so I'm intrigued to see that for sure. But you say goodbye to Jimmy Holiday. He entered the transfer portal. You say goodbye to um, Chase McGrath, who has done all of his eligibility. Same with Paxson Brooks. You do bring in Charles Campbell, who I think will be Tennessee's starting kicker and will do a good job. Jackson Ross, I think you upgraded the punter position. Bring back a veteran at long snapper. Matthew Solansky, you're good there. Bring back a, a guy that can change the game in terms of D. Williams. Remember that long punt return he had at LSU? And then, of course, the punt return for six against Vanderbilt. That was fun to watch. And then some guys to really compete with them. So, that is kind of what the kicking game, special teams, returning game, all kind of looks like heading into spring practice. Can Dante Thornton maybe throw his hat in the rain to return some kicks? I don't know. We'll see. Um, hopefully we'll find some answers to that as well. But that's kind of what the position group in terms of specialists and returners look like heading in to spring practice. And, hey, that's um, that's pretty much it in terms of our position breakdown heading into spring practice. We'll take a look at some of the biggest um, position battles and maybe some veterans to watch. I've already kind of singled that out here in my storylines, but we'll take a closer look at that. And of course, what I think, um, you know, what I saw from practice number one for Tennessee, uh, that can come up on tomorrow's show as spring practice is officially here. We'll listen to what Ron Slay had to say on the Rocky Top Rewind over at VolQuest.com. That's coming up in segment number three as Tennessee basketball is off to the Sweet 16. But first, I do want to remind you guys about our, our proud sponsors of FanDuel Sportsbook. The tournament is heating up now, and it's the perfect time to download FanDuel. It's America's number one sportsbook. Because new customers get a no-sweat first bet up to $1,000 in bonus bets. That's bonus bets back if your first bet doesn't win. Just download the FanDuel Sportsbook app. It is safe, it is secure, and it is super easy to use. Then you can bet on everything from the money line to point scores and three-pointers drain. You can bet on the spread, the money line, the totals, the over, the unders, individual prop bets for individual players such as rebounds, assists, points scored, all that and more, NBA and tournament basketball for the college basketball game. Plus, FanDuel even lets you combine your bets for a chance at a bigger payout with same game parlay. Don't miss your chance at no sweat first bet up to $1,000 in bonus bets when you go to FanDuel.com slash locked on. That is FanDuel.com slash locked on to learn more. Make every moment more with FanDuel, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. 
All right, guys, welcome back into it. This is Locked On Vols here on a Monday. I've been teasing all show. Had a chance to catch up with Ron Slay, former Tennessee basketball player, current personality over at 104.5 The Zone. You've probably seen him on ESPN, calling some basketball games as well this season. Ron Slay joined me and Brent Hubbs on the Rocky Top Rewind on Sunday. Here's what he had to say a little bit about Tennessee basketball. Feeling good. So sweet. How <laughs> sweet it is. How sweet it is. Oh, long overdue, man. And I think this was the perfect time, man. This is the perfect time. Usually when you when you come into March Madness and you have it scripted, that's exactly when the script is flipped. So I was feeling great that that people were counting them out, um, looking at them and saying they can't get past the first round. What's gonna happen if they ever meet up with Duke? And this is this is it. This is it. Just what you, you gotta load the bank on. Ron, when you look at that game, and you've seen this Tennessee team play a bunch, right? I mean, you've seen them in person. You've seen them in the studio working for the SEC Network. You talk about them daily at, at 104.5 The Zone on, on your show. What was it that, as a basketball guy, you liked most about what they did against Duke yesterday? Man, the attention to detail throughout the entire game. I think that was the, that was the most important part, um, I think, going into that game. And knowing that you could count on guys, like you went, actually you were able to play nine players and everybody was impactful. You know, even with blunders throughout the game, turnovers here and there, a couple of missed assignments, man, for the most part, you kind of felt that everybody was engaged the entire time. Even when a mistake was made, there was, it wasn't a head drop. It was get right back and stay in tune to what everybody was trying to do. You saw it from the body language on the bench. You saw it from guys that were in the game on picking each other up and then also just knowing who you were guarding and what you were trying to get to. And then on the offensive end, man, I thought everybody was aggressive. Um, that was the first time in a while that I saw the ball being rotated and guys attacking, attacking the rim, not attacking to pass. It was like they were attacking to try to get to their spot to score. If that was cut off, they were able to get it back out <clears throat> to other guys. And, you know, everybody was, Still engaged trying to get back downhill. There was so many times that this team so selfish, unselfishly um, passes up good shots to try to get a great shot. I thought, man, yesterday they were looking for good shots and taking those good shots. Um, and you could live with that, especially when you got you playing a traditional style of basketball with two bigs. Sometimes the best, the best, um, the best chance you have is putting it on the rim, you know, and let those guys get down there and bang and use that size and length. And they were able to do that. Romy got Wayne saying the boom, boom, room king is here. Tony saying love slay a great VFL. Um, Wayne's asking, remember the Detroit bad boys. Uh, maybe that's a, you know, a reflection of what Tennessee maybe played like at times yesterday. But nonetheless, you, you brought up those two big men for Duke. Filipkowski, the offensive ACC rookie of the year. And uh, you have Lively, who's all about defense. One of my favorite stats from the Louisiana game was Jonas Adu was plus 15 on the court. Scored six mm -hmm. points. Uros had an incredible nine points. Huge in that game, obviously. He was minus 15. So the way Tennessee played Jordan Brown against Louisiana was really, really neat. How do you think Tennessee did with Philip Kowski, the offensive threat for Duke on Saturday? I thought they did great. I thought they um they did a great job of not letting them play in space, eating up space. when like As a finesse guy, and I, I learned later in my career, um, playing pro ball, when you're able to face up and be able to get to your jumper, you're a threat like no other than you are with your back playing to the basket. Filipowski is a guy, man, when he faces up, it's a problem. But if you can crowd that space and force him to go one way, then it's a different 
it's a different element brought to his game that he, you know, a lot of people like to be comfortable, you know, especially offensive players. So if you can be comfortable, not get down there and bang, um, then you can get into your groove. And I, I don't feel he was able to get into his groove. Um, he was like, so many bodies being thrown at him. I thought they did a terrific job of guarding him and then making him defend on the other end. It was a lot of time they was posting up and they still wasn't even um, – Guys still wasn't getting the ball, but they were posting up, making him be engaged, putting him in the pick and roll action. So it was no rest for him at all. So I thought that was that was big time, man. And that that's the thing when you, I'm more, I'm more, I'm encouraged by seeing impactful numbers. So you look at Oscar Sheba. You can take him for example. The game he had when he had eight points and twenty five rebounds was way more impactful than a 20 and 20 point performance, you know what I'm saying? Cause of the timing of the buckets and Josiah, some of his jumpers, like you take Julian Phillips from the game, like those two dunks <laughs> momentum wise were humongous. It was like he had 10 points. So you can go up and down the standings and find guys that have impactful minutes, impactful numbers. Um, and it may not even show in the stat sheet, but it may be that time like Santi in the first half, that was it was everything you needed you know even if he was forcing shots like you needed that aggressivity so the other team so everybody else on the team could pick up and be like okay we got somebody that we know is going to get a shot we know to go to the board we know the shot's going up we're not hesitating and trying to pass it while look jumping up in the air the ball's going up on the rim so put your head down and get to the rim down box out you get an opportunity so i, I love the impactful numbers man that that you saw from phillips you got to see and and you didn't see from Filipowski in the second half. Ron, what do you make of all the discussion about Tennessee from a physicality standpoint? Charles Barkley says it's great that, that that Tennessee did exactly what they had to do. It was it was it was the right brand of basketball. They were tremendous in how they played. Other people say, you know, it was too physical, this, that, and the other. You, you've seen this league, you know the physicality of this league, you know the, the, the game. What do you make of that, or do you think that's just people looking for a topic to talk about right now? Man, I, I think it's it's a little bit of both. Um, I think this league has always been physical, um, and that's dating back to when I played, and I'm sure before I played. But you look at Florida when they were able to make their run, the reason they were, yeah, Mike Miller got the the, the spotlight, but, man, Udonis Haslam and Donnell Harvey and Brent Wright and them doing all that dirty work down low. Like, it was a dirty game down there. Right. Just it gets overshadowed because you got some hell of an athletes, man, that make it look easy. And it's not the reason Kentucky was good this year when they turned it on is because they got physical. There's no if, ands, or buts. Chris Livingston really can't shoot. So what does he end up to do? Be a, a mismatch at the three and dive to the basket. Jacob Toppin the same way. So when you look at the balls, man, it's interesting to hear these people talking about it, saying it was a dirty game. And it, Michigan State been playing like this. For, for 20 years, by yeah, the way. <laughs> like Rick Patino says when he comes out and plays, they can't call all the fouls. The referees can't call all the fouls. Man, I, I still got scars on my nose and everything when we play Louisville. Like, it's a part of the game. So for people to think that it's, <laughs> this is a dirty style of play, no, it's just matched. And that's the biggest thing I think that the SEC has over other conferences outside of the Big Ten is – the appetizer you get with the SEC tournament. That was the closest it's going to be called to March Madness. Gotcha. Then when you get into March Madness, there is no – man, they let you play. Yeah, it's different. 
It's oh, it's, it's, oh my gosh! And people don't understand. One, the lights. That's that's a big difference. Two, once you get in there, man, the refs would look at you. They might as well not even have a whistle. <laughs> I remember. That's why it's so important to have veterans ahead of you. Like I can come in and just um, be wild as a freshman. It, right. I didn't have no responsibility. I'd just be a spark plug. Isaiah Victor, C.J. Black, Tony Harris, Vince, all them. We got to play the right way. They, we need you twenty plus minutes. Me, all I needed was twelve to eighteen minutes. Man, I'm gonna get in here wild as hell. <laughs> you know, take charges, run into people, go over the back, all of that, and they gonna let it go. So right. once you adjust to it and understand that this is a physical style game, and they, it's called in the NCAA tournament like no other in the regular season, no conference that you're from. It's a different day and age when you get in that March Madness tournament and it, you cannot one thing you can't do you can't um you can't simulate it in practice I think Michigan State get a good job that's why they always do good in terms people that are physical do good in terms it's that yeah. simple yeah I mean, sure. it's simple yeah they do let me ask you this Ron you were in this tournament as a freshman in advance to the second weekend if, if my if my math and my years are all correct you guys mm-hmm. got to the second weekend your freshman year how difficult is it to stay locked in? What is it like playing the first weekend versus the second weekend? You've been in that grind where you play twice a week and then you get in the SEC tournament where you play back-to-back. Now, all of a sudden, you went on Saturday and you don't play again for four days. Mm-hmm. What are the challenges for this basketball team, based on your experiences, playing in on the second weekend of this tournament versus the first weekend? Man, the first weekend, you're just trying to get through the first game. You know, you you locked in. The second going into the after you get past that those first two games, going into the second weekend, to me it became a lot easier because it was less teams to focus on. You were more of a focal point, um, so you felt like the spotlight was on you. You had been through it, you were experienced, so you went through practice as normal as possible because whatever you did the week before worked. So you're gonna try to recreate that same exact thing. I think the most difficult part. Um, is when a monkey wrench is thrown in um, during the game, or you have a you have a a so I, I, our problem comparing it to us, we were ready for North Carolina, hands down, ain't no question about it. Scouting report was whew, to a T. We knew exactly what they were gonna do. The whole problem came in is when Haywood fouled out, so that was the monkey wrench thrown into the game. If Haywood stays in that game and doesn't foul out, we beat them easily. With no question, because they run the offense through them. And like Tennessee now, we got plenty of bodies to throw at them as the big. So we'll live with that. Um, the monkey wrench was when he fouled out and the ball was put in Ed Coda's hand and they just start freelancing. They stopped running offense and he just controlled it. And we were kind of like, oh, whoa, wait, wait a minute. You know, this this ain't what we were prepared for. We were pre- If this was the style we started with, the running gun style, let's do it. We with it. But that's not what we were with. So I think that caught us a little off guard. And it also, I think, just in the back of our mind, we were ready to play Tulsa. We knew we had Carolina out the way, and we wanted to get them back from when they beat us early in that year. So I think the 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 toughest thing once you get past the first round is to stay locked in on that game. You got to stay locked in on that game. You can't look at it until it's zero seconds on the clock, man. You really don't even need to play. I would advise a team, don't even play the time. All you playing is timeout to timeout to timeout, media timeouts. If you can do that, you win each media timeout, you'll be fine. And that's the way I would play it, man. I That clock is dangerous. You got to stay away from that clock. And it's so difficult, man, because you can feel it. 
you can feel it. That's why you need veteran. I think this is why this is a a, a really good bunch with Tennessee, minus um, missing Zakai as an emotional lift um, and defensive um, net that he is. But man, you you got these guys that are veterans that have been there. So if you need somebody to lean on, you got guys that you can lean on that have been there before, and I think that's a that's an advantage. Great stuff there from Ron Slay, 104.5 The Zone, ESPN personality, calling, calling college basketball, SEC Network. The man does it all here, and of course, he is a former Tennessee basketball player, wears his emotions on his sleeve when it comes to his university, and some good stuff there on Tennessee in the Sweet 16. All right, guys, can't thank you enough for tuning in here on a Monday. Remember, if you want more basketball coverage, there's some bonus episodes over the weekend that should be in your feed. Go check that out. We'll come back. We'll talk more spring football, what I saw from practice number one, and more. All that is coming up here on your Tuesday Locked On Vols, plus mailbag. Get in those questions at underscore Kaner and at Locked On Vols. All right, guys, make Locked On College Basketball your second listen today. The tournament's heating up. A lot of balls talk as well. Locked On College Basketball, basketball your second listen right behind Locked On Vols. Uh, same time, same place. We'll do it again tomorrow, guys. This is Locked On Vols.